figure in the information age, but facts are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth with FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. It is the American Radicals podcast on Saturday, February 17th, 2024. You made it, folks. We are through yet another week. We are to the weekend. Saturday is always our best episode. We love to get here a little bit early, get into the chat, see everybody waiting for the show to start. And I'm excited. I know Garrett is. We have the long-awaited book study that we were teasing and teasing, finally decided to pull the trigger on it. We are going to dive headlong into Animal Farm today, chapters one, chapter two. I did a quick poll in the chat on Rumble, rumble.com slash amradpod. If you're there, make sure that you like the show, subscribe if you are so inclined, and uh, make sure you share the show with others. And in that chat, there are some newbies. There are some rookies who have never read Animal Farm. So my pledge to you all is spoiler alert free. We will go chapter by chapter, just like our ninth grade English teachers should have done when you should have gotten this. So yet another example of our failing school system. Before we get started, let's bring on Garrett and uh, wish him a good morning. It's still morning time in Wisconsin. Uh, are you snowed in or is spring on the way? Spring seems to be here. Um... I, I won't hold my breath because things change often in these parts. I remember last year, I think it was in April, I sent you and Kyle and our small little, uh, you know, outside group, a, a picture of a snowstorm. I'm pretty sure it was in April. So I won't hold my breath. But for now, we got sun. We've got no wind looking outside. Uh, it looks it looks good out there. So I'm excited to to get outside a little bit later today and and see what it's all about but hey for all i know it's it's freezing temps out there well i think spring is here the groundhog did not see his shadow or an early spring is on the way which will be a nice transition to plug our show sponsor before we start the book study true earth pharmacy is the show sponsor you can go to trueearth.co and go there and use the promotion code. The promo code is AMRAD24. They put the 24 on there because it's 2024 and we want to get healthy and True Earth Pharmacy can help you do that. Uh, if it is going to have you healthier in your home garden with their fertilizers, that's one way to go. And it's with their supplements as well. They have a wide selection. It really does work. I can tell you my firsthand experience that uh, I've, I've been trying a number of the products and have seen it in my life actually make a difference. And that is unusual for me. Most of the stuff that I try, it just, I'd never found a product that I was like screaming about. Everybody's got to try this until I tried the True Earth Pharmacy product line that they gave me. And I encourage you all to do the same. Go to trueearth.co and uh, you can get a 10% discount on the entire store with the promo code AMRAD24. Let's get to it, everyone. Let's get to the animal farm discussion. Garrett, I, Homework check. Did you, did you read chapter one, chapter two? I certainly did. Uh, and you mentioned it about your ninth grade English lit teacher who should have who should have made you read this in high school. That's when I read it. I've not read it since then, but it's left a mark. And and revisiting it, just these first two chapters, I didn't I didn't skip ahead. Just the first two. It's it's bringing back already like, and uh, no spoilers, but like knowing where we're headed. Like I'm remembering why it had such a lasting impact on me, and uh, hopefully, especially for the people who've never read it before, hopefully it'll you'll see why as we go through over the coming weeks. 
And while we're on the English lit discussion, uh, if you remember, your teacher should have started the whole animal farm study with an explanation for what is an allegory. And that is what the story actually is. It's called an allegory. So I went to the very deep uh, source known as Wikipedia to pull up a definition for what is an allegory. And Wikipedia tells us a, it's a literary device or artistic form an allegory is a narrative or visual representation in which a character, place, or event can be interpreted to represent a meaning with a moral or political significance. I think we will encounter both moral and political in this story. It, uh, for those who don't know, this is an allegory about the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia when Russia threw overthrew the czars and became the Soviet Union. Um, and we'll dive into that as the story goes. And we are going to be just touching on chapters one and chapters two today, but I did want to start us off uh, on a fun note. Uh, I'm going to be video heavy today. Uh, I mentioned this to Gary yesterday. I don't know if I've shared this on the AMRAD podcast, but I had a, a brief conversation with my elder son about what an allegory is when we were hanging out doing a bro sesh and watching one of my favorite superhero movies, Man of Steel. And uh, a certain scene came up and my son is in fourth grade. He attends a Christian school and um, I watch this scene with him and we'll show it to you and then uh, and then I'll tell you what I told him and watched that nine-year-old's brain explode. Strike that panel. We wanted you to learn what it meant to be human first so that one day when the time was right you could be the bridge between two peoples. You can save the cow. You can save all of them. There you have it, Man of Steel. Um, and Gary, I don't know if you've watched the film, uh, but I told my son, who is again in Christian school, hey, buddy, uh, can you think of a story where uh, some larger, I don't know, uh, omnipotent figure sent his one and only son to earth to save everyone? And then he wound up in a T-pose. <laughs> and, uh, and that's when the nine-year-old realized what an allegory actually is. So <laughs> make sure you're educating your kids, folks. <laughs> Superman's about Jesus. <laughs> it's actually uh, a comic. Superman was a comic by two Jewish men, and it is about Jesus. So for those who don't know, minds effectively blown. Who says you're not going to learn just pop culture and geopolitical politics on the American Radicals podcast? And, and we're getting a movie reference right off the bat. So we're right off, off to a good bat. start this Saturday. All right. So let's get to it. Um, you know, I, I read it, and, and I know, Garrett, you pulled some quotes as well. Uh, we get into chapter one. We are introduced right away to Old Major. And Old Major is this old uh, show hog that uh, he's won lots of prizes. Um, and if you know history, Old Major represents a certain person named Karl Marx. And Karl Marx and Old Major, uh, the first word that I was struck by that he speaks in this book is comrade. I think that that's pretty relevant to where this is actually going to be going. Um, do you have any any notes uh, on yourself on on Old Major? Um, no, just some stuff I pulled from his his speech, but no comrade. Yeah, not, not at this time, comrade. 
Well, the, the, the quote that was, uh, was noteworthy to me was, he said, man is the only creature that consumes without producing. He does not give milk. He does not lay eggs. He is too weak to pull the plow. He cannot run fast enough to catch rabbits. Yet he is Lord of all the animals. He sets them to work. He gives them, he gives back to them the bare minimum that will prevent them from starving and the rest he keeps for himself. Our labor tills the soil. Our dung fertilizes it, and yet there is not one of us who owns more than his bare skin. Um, and that was from the speech that Major gives in the in the barn after hours when the, the farmer has uh, is sleeping one off, and he's setting up this principle of we're working, we're the members of the worker, we're not in the bourgeois, we're the proletariat, and we're getting a, a rough deal here. We're our, our overlord is taking from us and uh, unnecessarily, and it's it's setting up a class struggle that we saw with the Bolshevik Revolution. Yeah, uh, from that same speech, the one of the parts that stood out to me, he says, "Their comrades is the answer to all our problems." It is summed up in a single word: man. Man is the only real enemy we have, and I, I thought of that like on its face. I 100% agree. And let's take it even out of the allegory of the farm and the farm animals. Man is the only real enemy we have. Satan has corrupted this world. Man fell. Man is filled with sin. We are our own worst enemy. And as our allegorical tale proceeds, and we think of this in the context as, as Orwell meant it um, for us to, to relate to our life, for us to relate for him in England at the time when he wrote it, published in 1945. Uh, we're heading out of World War II into the Cold War. So he intended it to, to yes, be a story and fanciful and animals, but for us to apply it to the real world. And and right right out of the gates with old major speech, man is the only real enemy enemy we have. I mean, I completely agree there, but as we will start to see, even in the first two chapters, it starts to spiral out of control because of us being our own worst enemy and how we treat others and the the road to destruction that we often act as if it's paved with good intentions but in reality it's paved with selfish evil intentions i was uh noting how in this speech it uh, it disturbing disturbing trend it sort of mirrors what we're seeing today uh, because historically you'd have these candidates for political office and it was fair game. You could attack your opponent. Your supporters could attack your opponent. So if Garrett and I were uh, vying for the same elected office, uh, he and I could go at it. We could sling mud at each other and our supporters could sling mud at, at us individually. There was always that issue. Well, can you go after family and, and relatively speaking families off limits? But recently we've seen a trend where actually political leaders are not going after just their opponent. They're going after their opponent's followers. And I think mm -hmm. that that's what Major is setting up here. It's not just this specific farmer. It's man entirely. And it's an assumption about man in general is, is uh, persecuting this entire animal class. Um, and I, I want to play a video where we're seeing that because I think it's a very disturbing trend um, because where this this tip, this story is going, when it, it, it goes into revolution, to violent revolution, it's not just the one 
the one target. It's an entire class of people. And I think that that's enormously problematic. Uh, and uh, I can think of no better example than our current occupant at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, he's When he does get enough drugs in his system to address the nation, he, uh, he, he can deliver a speech uh, at least for a few minutes uh, to chill anyone um, to their bone. And there's something dangerous happening in America now. There's an extremist movement does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. The MAGA movement. Not every Republican, not even a majority of Republicans adhere to the MAGA's extremist ideology. I know because I've been able to work with Republicans my whole career. But there's no question that today's Republican Party is driven and intimidated by MAGA Republican extremists. This MAGA threat is a threat to the brick and mortar of our democratic institutions. It's also a threat to the character of our nation gives our, that gives our Constitution life. And now history has brought us to a new time of testing. Very few of us will ever be asked to endure what John McCain endured. But all of us are being asked right now, what will we do to maintain our democracy? Will we, as John wrote, never quit? Will we not hide from history, but make history? Will we put partisanship aside and put country first? I say we must, and we will. We will. Well, well uh, apparently you can uh, put partisanship aside uh, right after saying that your political uh, opponent's following is the enemy of the country. <laughs> Yeah. So this is this is a great example of even where where Orwell was at in his time. And while you were playing that clip, I was thinking like, man, Orwell was really ahead of the curve. And, but actually, as I kind of played it out, as as Joe Biden continued to speak there, I thought, well, no, he wasn't. This is this is humankind throughout history. This is what we do to each other. And um, in uh, what's it called? I just pulled it up. It's one of Orwell's essays called A Hanging. Uh, he he that's so that the word or the term, maybe some of you have heard of it called unhuman. So this is this is an Orwellian term. This is this comes from George Orwell. And this is what Joe Biden was doing right there. He was making unhumans of his enemies, of his political foes. And and, and yeah, we, I mean, it's a, it's dangerous for any society to get to this point. And it's part of the allegory of animal farm, as we will see, like how over time, how it slips into this destructive society. And we're there folks, like in America, we are there. We're like plummeting headlong towards this totalitarian belief structure and faith in government and unhuman your enemies and destroy them and mass arrest them even and and use that that totalitarian government we talked about it the other day um uh when we were talking about uh the state and this is this is where we're headed i mean this is where we're going this is why we're doing animal farm back to old major's speech uh, i think he touches on something else here where we we're now gonna he set up the straw man to burn down the the opposition and it's a call to action now it's it's not really setting up a structure for what his vision is really he just is unhappy with the status quo and i think we saw that we've seen that entire history i mean how long ago was uh, it that we had uh, occupy wall street in zuccotti park where 
all these people were just unhappy with the system and um, and just started camping out there. But there was no vision for, well, what's your solution? There's that old mantra that you say, like, is it a leader? You can come to me with your problem, but don't just come to me with a problem. Bring me a solution. You can't just say, here it is. It's on your desk. And that's um, that's a fixture of being in leadership. You want to empower your subordinates to do that so that they can be the masters of their own destiny. And, and what old major writes here, or I'm sorry, what he says here is, uh, what then must we do? Why work night and day, body and soul for the overthrow of the human race? That is my message to you, comrades, rebellion. And, and this is like the uh, Zuccotti Park uh, Occupy Wall Street movement that we saw, or something that's a little bit closer uh, in time in the timeline to what we saw in 2020 when the Black Lives Matter uh, protests were, were going on when some of them were legitimate and, and peaceful and, and, and they had their gripes with policing and overly aggressive policing. Um, there were some examples of, uh, you know, of the police using brutality. Um, but I think a lot of those devolved into something different because if you actually examined what the Black Lives Matter movement was about, it was not just about quote unquote racial justice. And anytime you put a qualifier before justice, it's not really justice. So this is a this is a video, just sort of a retrospective on, on what we all remember happening in in twenty twenty one or twenty twenty after uh, St. George Floyd uh, <laughs> was uh, was departed the earth. So we'll we'll give this a watch, and this was how the media was presenting it. Many see the slogan "Black Lives Matter" or BLM as a noble plea for equal treatment under the law. It's a cry to secure the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for everyone. But what does the Black Lives Matter organization actually stand for? To find out, look no further than their leaders, Alicia Garza, Opal Tometi, and Patrice Cullors. Here's Cullors in a revealing 2015 interview. They actually do have an ideological frame. Um, myself, and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. Visit the Black Lives Matter website and read the list of demands to get a sense of how deep a transformation they seek. One of those demands proclaims, quote, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another. I'll pause it there, uh, and I think I want to put a, a pin in that. We wanted to disrupt the nuclear family. That's something that I think is worth having uh, a discussion about, um, because uh, just intellectually, Garrett, you know, I was I was thinking about because the the Bolshevik Revolution happens and it, it brings in eventually this this Soviet Union. The it's it's a move to socialism. And we hear historically, uh, every time this movement pops up, they say, well, real socialism's never been tried. <laughs> All right. And then I actually did an exercise and I thought, well, yes, it has. And the only time in history that it's actually worked, and it does work, is at the nuclear family level. Because uh, husband and wife, one or both, might work. They're providing. The kids are entirely dependent it's, it's from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. My kids eat whether or not they're bringing in an income. Yeah. And I think that that is an interesting fact that they want to eradicate that entirely. Why not make the argument? Why not make the small R Republican argument to say, well, it works at the family level. Why don't we try it at the town level? Why don't we try it at the county level? Why don't we try it at the state level? 
and work our way up that way. But instead, it's it's over the top. And, and there's going to be two things that struck me is that they want to eliminate. Um, we'll talk on the, on the the other one later. But the first one is, as we see with Black Lives Matters, we want to get rid of the nuclear family uh, in order for this to happen. Uh, interested to know what, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, it's because they, uh, I mean, for me, it's it's it boils down to simple biblical truth. The way God set up humanity, the way it was created and intended was, I mean, I, I've talked about it before. I'm pretty sure on Amrad, how a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church so much. He died on a cross for, for anyone who would believe in him. He, you know, before, before he was crucified, he told, he told Pilate that he was the truth and that he came to testify to the truth. And Pilate said, what is truth? And this is where we are with BLM. This is where we are with society. This is where we are with cultural Marxism. What is truth? They don't know, Steve, they can't even tell you what a woman is, but they want to take your kids. What did Biden say? I think almost a year ago, I think it was last April. He said, uh, they like something to the effect of they are all our children. No, they are not. That is cultural Marxism. That is that is Satan weaving his way into society to to get you to believe in these false ideas that once you start dissecting them, they don't they don't they can't even stand up you know under their own weight because they're so uh, insidious and pathetic and destructive to the way life was to be intended. And you know, again, to 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 Major's um, speech, another part that stands out here to me, he says, is it not crystal clear then, comrades, that all the evils of this life of ours spring from the tyranny of human beings? Only get rid of man and the produce of our labor would be our own. Almost overnight, we could become rich and free. And how often do you hear that? Give us money for reparations. We actually need to be free and people just doing whatever they want live your truth, Steve, live your freedom. Uh, but I, I think major is actually right when he says that all the evils of this life of ours spring from the tyranny of human beings. Yes. And this is the way language gets twisted by the Marxists right here. That's, that's true what he says, but then they want to twist it and say, only black lives matter. If you say white lives matter, you're a racist. We're taking your kids and the state is going to raise them. And we're going to have this this utopian society that when you take it, like we were talking about out of the nuclear family, it's, it immediately begins to fall apart already. I was just telling Heidi earlier uh, this week that as a dad, as a husband, I am aware that I have done things wrong. I am aware that I have sinned against my children. I'm aware that I have sinned against my wife and, and we still try to live in a biblical uh, sense. That doesn't mean we're going to get it perfect. And we're actually putting in the effort here to try to get it perfect. And it doesn't work out because we are all fallible and sinful, which is why, you know, we need to, to look to our creator and our savior for, for that, for the truth. So, uh, so we can actually move forward and overcome the difficulties that living in a fallen world bring, not coming up with this fanciful idea of a utopian society that we're going to create in our fallenness. It doesn't even make sense. It's the John Adams quote that a republic is only uh, applicable. It can only be achieved successfully for a just and moral people. The same thing applies to a socialist utopia. Uh, for sure. As soon as you bring in the fallen elements of it, the same thing applies to a libertarian sort of worldview. You and I were messaging about that and 
said it, it only applies or it's only could possibly succeed if there's a, an element of it that's voluntary because socialism works in my family because I'm voluntarily giving my children their need because there's a, an element to that. It's, it's spiritual. It's even just evolutionary. I mean, it's biological. Right. You want your progeny yeah. to go on. They have to eat in order for that to happen. Right. Um, now think of it. If you, if you approached it this way as dad, as you know, I'm in charge of the house and, and you know, you and your wife mutually, you know, raising your family or whatever. But I just saw this story horrifying. Where was this Cleveland or somewhere? I forget exactly. Uh, six year old girl locked in a cage, like, discover i don't know how she was discovered um but her parents are going to work every day and then they're coming home and putting little scraps through this cage so she can eat and it's like well that's the tyranny that we were just talking about that major was talking about that i just read that is tyranny and at the nuclear level the nuclear family level you can be a tyrant and be supremely destructive to the proper order of what you're to do for your progeny, raise them, feed them, take care of them, regardless of what they put into it. You know, you, you mentioned your sons. I think of our daughters, um, Lucy's super small still, you know, she's a toddler now toddling around, but if we left her to her own devices, how long would she last a day? Maybe if we got lucky, if Gwen jumped in to help a little bit, yeah, I think she'd probably find a light socket or two. Um, to, 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 and that's just, they're just a walking catastrophe at that, at that age to happen. Um, I do want to give another example. I don't want to be just selective to the Black Lives Matter. That seems like just overdone. Uh, who remembers way back when like a significant portion of Seattle was taken over by this utopian principle, the, the jazz chop? And I have two back-to-back -back clips oh, I want to show. Um, that how when you go into a utopia and you don't really set up the guardrails for it, when you uh, everybody just uh, there's not no communication. Everybody just kind of has their own idea. What's well? How will this work? And this will work the way I want it to. When I don't coordinate with anyone else, you might have the best of intentions. But I think when there's people who are um, have their own individual interests, then it's sort of a recipe for disaster. So there's uh, the the way it's is intended and and how it's going um first we'll show you how it, it uh, was intended this morning protesters in seattle are holding several city blocks after the seattle police vacated the area earlier in the week called Chaz, the capitol hill autonomous zone the sort of like a different way of thinking protesters turning the neighborhood into more of an open community space a block party type atmosphere music a hot dog stand gardening rather than a corridor for violence and mayhem. We'll build from there. This is not just, we're gonna take in draw graffiti and have fun. No, we're gonna maybe turn that into a community center. We can get a black bank here. We can get a fresh grocery store system here. It's gonna be a cool zone, a safe zone. The police abandoning one of its own stations in an effort to de-escalate tensions. So the police gave them what they wanted, right, Garrett? They, um, they gave them that, and you saw them talking about gardening. And and the, the, the plan they done, they only occupy this area for, I think, a couple of weeks. I don't know, it was like 19 days or something ridiculous. Um, and I think they, they put like cardboard down as the base and then threw some soil on it and thought that they were going to have like a, a co-op going on. And then what you came to learn to find out was the same thing was going on with Occupy Wall Street, where it devolved into violence very quickly. It devolved in, there were homicides where they were not actually letting the police in. Uh, to address assaults and homicides, sexual assaults and all that. And uh, this was 
three years after Chop, a retrospective from um, from a local news station. So we'll give this a watch and then say, you know, it's that that contrast of like, well, how it was intended and and how it's going. Weathered, beaten, abandoned. If you squint long enough through the locks and the chain link fence, you'll see John McDermott and the small business he built over more than two decades. It just became an unsafe, you know, uh, location to run a business. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you were sleeping there yep. because you were worried about your business. Correct. That chaotic month in 2020 led to the abandonment of the Seattle Police East Precinct and creation of the Autonomous Zone in a five-block area of Capitol Hill, leaving McDermott to literally fend for himself a block away from the chop. No one responded to more than a couple dozen 911 calls. Our building, you know, was broken into and was lit on fire, and the guy, you know, tried to cut my son's leg open and stab him. The fire department was sitting literally at the corner of the block, but they couldn't come in because the Seattle Police Department wouldn't come in. If you dial 911, what do you expect to have happen? Where are the tax dollars, you know, that we're paying uh, to the city? That is why he and multiple business owners sued the city in 2020 to close the chop which the city settled earlier this year for $3.6 million, even though the scars remain. Seattle has now spent $12 million on legal fees and payouts related to the inaction that resulted in two deaths, four shootings, arson, and several alleged sexual assaults, a sense of lawlessness that dots the neighborhood to this day with graffiti, boarded up windows, and for lease signs, and continues to prompt new lawsuits just filed this month over lost revenue and emotional damages. That's the animal farm they wanted, isn't it? I mean, it's... <laughs> oh, dude, it's, it's so crazy to... I'm glad you played both those clips back-to-back -back like that because, you, you know, we remember tangentially what happened with CHOP. And now, who's on the hook? The city? Why? For abandoning the autonomous zone that the people wanted? Which reminded me, Steve, of this. Whoever incites, sets on foot, assists or engages in any rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the United States or the laws thereof or gives aid or comfort thereto shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both and shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States. That's 18 United States Code 2383, rebellion or insurrection. So that applies to former President Donald Trump when he tweets out, go peacefully, and some people riot into the Capitol, that he's an insurrectionist and he should go to jail for that. But people who set up an autonomous zone and then the, the government of that area abandoned it, oh, you know, they, they, they what? They painted Animal Farm outside and 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 they get to go live their utopian life that devolves almost instantly into sexual assault and murder and mayhem and destruction. It's um, I think it's just more of an indication of like it's we can't have nice things unless you have an actual vested interest in it with just and moral people and fundamentally people aren't just and more really typically outside of their own households and we even see people fail in that regard you know you and i and others like us endeavor to do that nobody's perfect there's only according to christianity there's only been one perfect human um and it ain't me 
but at the same time, I'm motivated to to do things the the suspendable way, right? Do do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons, um, uh, and for the right and the, the right way. And when you have the uh, the government, which is supposed to be in a position of headship, almost like a, a familial relationship, a position of like the the father, abandon its responsibilities. It would be no different than where you see fatherless homes, where dad just gets lost and then the, the kids have to suffer the consequences, which is why we see enormous rates of incarceration and mental illness and violence and just an unsuccessful lives from kids who grow up in a single parent household. Um, I think uh, I, I wanted to sort of come off this element and this is a little bit off the board uh, and uh, because in this, this moment in the book, and again, this is the American Radicals podcast. We are on Saturday. We come to you live at noon Eastern, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday on Rumble, rumble.com slash amradpod. Uh, we got another subscriber there. Thank you guys uh, for doing that. And while you're here, make sure that you like and follow the show. So we're doing our long-awaited book study on Animal Farm. We began its day, chapters one, chapters two. And in chapter one, Old Major, who represents Karl Marx, is delivering a speech to the rest of the animals on the farm. And he sort of concludes this speech with the, uh, they sing this anthem. It becomes like their national anthem. It's the Beasts of England anthem. And you and I messaged with each other about this briefly. Um, and I'm not like, opposed, I don't think, I don't know uh, about to a national anthem or a pledge of allegiance. But I got to be honest, man, I'm mostly just doing it out of respect for guys like yourself that risked life and limb to do that as opposed to a... A country that we have a leader that's a dear leader that's standing up there and saying that if you have a preference for strong borders and, and lower taxes, then you're an enemy of the republic and we should get rid of you from our society. Right. Yeah. You're you're a radical. You're and an extremist if you believe those things. <laughs> and and yeah, it's it, it's interesting. I've come a long a long way here with an oath to the constitution, a pledge of allegiance, and thinking about those things from a biblical worldview even more like uh the bible says let your yes be yes and your no be no don't make vain oaths don't take oaths and it's i think of those things and like i used to be super proud when i was sworn in in the army when i was sworn in as a cop when i was sworn in as an fbi agent i said it when we testified i made an oath to the constitution not to the fbi i meant that then i mean it now but the the longer i ruminate on it, the longer I study it, the more I think, man, this this could be borderline idolatry, uh, false god territory. When when you blindly march and you know say, oh, I made this oath and I'm completely loyal. Well, what about when your country is no longer loyal to the basic tenets of that oath you took? Then that's quite the quagmire, isn't it? And then when you try to stand up for the truth for that oath you took like you did like i did like kyle seraphin like mark allen like others we know when you stand up for it then you are the enemy you're the enemy of the state and this no spoilers again but we will see this unfold too in our allegory and i think it's worth clarifying i'm not in in uh team colin kaepernick 
because he yeah. substituted one idol, if you want to even another, say yeah. the national anthem for another idol. I mean, he's doing a he's mouthpiece for Black Lives Matter and for democratic socialism. He's making twenty million dollars a year, complaining about how uh, he can't get ahead in the country. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So I think you're uh, going to be okay, Colin. You're going to be all right. You're going to be better off than than the suspendables. Even though I guess I guess. He's a suspendable himself, but for the wrong reasons. But he got the blacklist for uh, for for bowing down to the false idol too too deeply in a time where I bet you if that happened today, like they'd go all in on him. I mean, we've talked about we talked about it last week with the end racism on the helmets and in the end zones. What does what does Morgan Freeman say? Don't talk about it. Stop talking about it. You and your false idols. That's it. I mean, I mean, that's really the answer to it. Like, can you just leave this alone and stop talking about it? <laughs> um, so back to our book, uh, old major concludes his speech. They sing the the song. They have to teach them the song, the animals, most of the animals are, are, they're animals. So they're, they're really dumb. So they're going to require leadership. They're going to require an intellectual elite to do that. Um, and in the text, it says the work of teaching and organizing the others fell naturally upon the pigs who were generally recognized as being the cleverest of the animals, which is actually true. Uh, pigs, from what I understand, my my farming um, associates and friends, pigs are very smart. Uh, so he's actually, uh, he was uh, accurate <laughs> scientifically yeah, with that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, to, to let this play out, though, uh, to what we're seeing today, we're, we seem to be lorded over by this elitist class and they're not really afraid to advertise it even at this point they're not even they're not even pretending that well, they're just one of the folks and they just happen to be gifted with a you know an iq that's a little bit more than others and they they advertise it constantly so i found this clip and uh just prepare yourselves uh get your barf bag ready for this from um a uh from one of our, our elite this is the well he's actually now just left that was the uh, climate czar, John Kerry, former secretary of state, former senator, former candidate for president. And uh, he's like, looks like his face looks like it's from the Easter Island statues at this point. Um, and this is John Kerry talking at the World Economic Forum. And when you stop and think about it, it's pretty extraordinary that we select group of human beings because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives, are able to sit in a room and come together and uh, actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so almost extraterrestrial to think about, quote, saving the planet. And if you said that to most people, most people, they think you're just a crazy tree-hugging, lefty, liberal, you know, do-gooder, whatever, and, and there's no relationship. But really, that's where we are. Imagine the ego, Garrett, of actually making the case publicly that you are saving the planet. You have the goods to, between the ears to do that. You alone can solve the problem. Right. Um, and I say it all the time, the hubris, man. This is, you know, I typically say that about the FBI, but it is so pervasive. Oh, it's, it's nauseating, dude. You're right about getting the barf bag ready. <laughs> Well, uh, we'll give you a mini palate cleanse here, uh, folks, for, from that experience. I'm sorry, again, that was John Kerry. Uh, but before we do that, want to make sure that we we talk about www.the-suspendables.com, the merch store. Gary, last time you reported, you were basically all caught up. Uh, yeah, that's no longer the case already. There's been some orders coming in. So I'll get I'll get caught up here in the next couple of days again. But uh, 
by all means, keep them coming, folks. Keep them coming in. Get yourself whatever, a T-shirt, some shorts, um, a hoodie, a hoodie. You might have seen this. This is one of my prototypes. Um, I don't know. I you, Do you like it? Put a one in the in the chat if you like it. Just plain color. I don't really like it. I don't know. Olive and drab I, I kinda, is always a winner, man. It, yeah, it just I do is. like the olive. I do like the OD, but I don't know. Maybe I should have put a white badge on here instead of a black. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll come up with some new hoodies as we enter into spring. A little more lightweight. I don't know. Who knows, man? My my brain's always thinking of new designs and new things to put out there, and and I will as as we we work through some of the current stock of of uh, shirts and stuff that we have. I'm I'm a weird guy, and I, I set up all these guardrails and rules for myself, and within the law enforcement community, and you could test to that, like the, the football team, the, the jocks, that's SWAT, right? And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I always sort of uh, rolled my eyes at guys who dressed like they were SWAT, but they really weren't. And I yeah. pledged, like, I will not wear OD green anything or a Gatson Culpepper hat with a patch on it at all until I get on SWAT. And yeah. as soon as I did, man, I, it was like almost four figures that I dropped. Uh -huh. I'm all in. <laughs> yeah. That's funny, dude. Like I... uh in typical veteran fashion, or at least our era, like lots of guys, myself included. When I got out of the army, I'm like wearing a multi-cam Gadsden Culpepper hat with, you know, with the Velcro patch. Um, these these are these are stitched on for those of you who know. But, uh, you know, that type of thing or Ranger Up t-shirts and stuff. I was like full like vet bro. And like I look back and I'm like hanging my head in shame. Like, why, why was I the vet bro? But I, I was for a time. Um, but hey, more power to you. And then, like, I don't know. When I became a cop, I was like, "Dang, there's a lot of posers out here." Like, they become a cop, and they say, uh, "I, you know, I was gonna join the military." And then, like, cop, they think is like the same. I don't know. I think that a lot of them do. It's not. It's very different. But then they're like wearing multicam, and I'm like, "Dude, you're a you're a Waukesha, Wisconsin police officer. What, what are you doing?" Uh, so, dude, you're gonna love this. Some of my buddies, sorry. Little Send little sidetrack. Side side um, <laughs> this is hilarious. You're gonna love this, Steve. You are gonna love this. One of the guys I used to work with, he's on the SWAT team now at, at my old PD. He bought his own set of cries to like wear. I don't know why that just killed me. When I learned that, I was like, he did what? He bought his own cries to wear on the Waukesha, Wisconsin SWAT team, like. <laughs> Like, come on, dude. Come All on. right. I, I got to come clean on this one, folks. I, I got to make a confession. I did not buy my own personal set of cries. I do own several personal well, yeah. sets of cries. Yeah, I mean, and the reason for that is my uh, my former supervisor was a hostage rescue team member, HRT, and was now in executive management, was climbing the ladder. And I, I think his wife probably said, like, get this out of get my house. You're stuff. not on yeah. the team. And he came with, like, a giant trash bag. And he's like, Steve, you just take this up to the team, see if anybody, you know, if, if it'll help anybody needs an extra uniform. And I looked at him and for those who don't know, cry tops and bottoms, roughly what, 800 bucks. Yeah. For the something for like full that. Set. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there were five or six full sets. I and mean, dude, I don't blame you. I just scooped them up too. If they would fit. <laughs> I was like, interestingly enough, boss, um, you and I are the only ones that are the same size. So these are going straight in my closet Get to me. Yes. <laughs> I, I can't justify throwing them out. I really can't. No, I mean, no just you can't. You can't. <laughs> I mean, dude, you could sell those on eBay and for probably a good, especially if you put in the notes, former FBI HRT uh, uniform or whatever, you know, the granted our, our former, our ex-girlfriend would, uh, would probably come 
headhunting you even more for that. They'd add it to your file, you know. Well, I think this is probably a good good sidetrack we took because it'll take us to our next um, next line of discussion here. Um, and uh, this was a, a quasi palate cleanse, quasi uh, quasi barf bag, but I, I just think it's funny because he's such a hypocrite. Um, and I'll, I'll play back to back videos on it. And that is the the great Bernie Sanders, who is the independent from Vermont, Democratic Socialist. Um, this was something where well, we're we're here bragging about how we have our own personal sets of cries and we're just indulging ourselves. Uh, this is Bernie Sanders railing against uh, uh, the the rich and railing against what people have. Uh, here's here's Bernie Sanders advocating for breadlines and why they're good. And again, what has to be understood is the economic problems of Nicaragua are not unique in Central America or in the third world. In fact, as poor as Nicaragua is, one of the nice things that I saw is that as a result of government policy, direct government policy in terms of the distribution of food, people are not hungry by and large. I think it's fair to say. You know, it's funny, sometimes American journalists talk about how bad a country is because people are lining up for food. That's a good thing. In other countries, people don't line up for food. The rich get the food and the poor starve to death. In Nicaragua, people are not starving uh, to death. Wow. So yeah, breadlines are a good thing. Good, the th mental thank gymnast you. The, the mental gymnastics there. Uh, like, how do you convince yourself of this? I, I don't. I, oh, gosh. Well, is, that's in his early days. And uh, this is this is more recently. This is a uh, uh, think progress he, talking about Bernie's millionaire problem because he was all in for uh, Nicaragua and, and the socialist revolution that happened down there, the, the Contras were pushing back against. And, um, and wouldn't you know it, after he hit his millionaire status, his, his sudden, we'll see if we can pick up here, if the AMRAD audience picks up a sudden change in the way that Bernie Sanders likes to talk. If I'm a millionaire. What millionaires and billionaires. For billionaires and millionaires. For millionaires and billionaires. A proliferation of millionaires and billionaires. When millionaires and billionaires. Of millionaires and billionaires. 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 This is a budget of the billionaire class, by the billionaire class, and for the billionaire class. More billionaires in his administration. Billionaires. Billionaires and the wealthiest people. Billionaires and the wealthy. A handful of billionaires and other billionaires. Billionaires. Allow billionaires. Multi-millionaires and billionaires. <laughs> we'll stop it there. Multi-millionaires. <laughs> For those who are listening, um, it shows a, a graph of his net worth as it went up, and it just crested over a million dollars after he got his book deal in 2016. So he's now actually a, a single millionaire. Yeah. Um, and then once you know it, he's, his speech patterns changed, and he started railing against just the billionaires and the multi-millionaires. Yeah. I mean, dude, it's it's straight out of Animal Farm. Come on. It is. It really is. Uh, while we were watching those, I pulled up his current net worth. Allegedly, as of 2023, it's $3 million. Uh, that's three million more than me, but hey, the billionaires, the billionaires and the multi-millionaires is what we have to go after, comrade. And I found this article um, that I think is also worth a share. 
uh, and it is from the New York Times. So this is archived. And it is from 2015, so really in the middle of his first major political campaign where he's running for president against Hillary Clinton. Um, and there was one quote in there that I thought was uh, was pretty applicable to, to Bernie Sanders. And he says, he doesn't flinch over returning to the 90% personal income tax rates of the 1950s for top earners. And if reducing income inequality reduces economic growth, he says, that's fine. You don't necessarily, quote, you don't necessarily need a choice of 23 underarm spray deodorants, he said, when, quote, children are hungry in this country. So bringing on austerity uh, is a good thing, just like the bread lines. Um, but without giving Bernie Sanders too much more air, um, I do want to get back to the book uh, because we're going to come off of the uh, the speech that Major gives. And there was uh, something that struck me and was uh, relevant to, I think, a discussion that I had with G. Van Fleet, who uh, was in one of our prior episodes. She wrote uh, Mao's America, and she escaped Mao's communist China. Um, and she talked about how the the, the Maoists uh, basically made a uni uniformity amongst the genders and erased the the female they 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 masculinized the the females they basically restricted their ability to look pretty have certain haircuts and they basically made everybody a eunuch and then the contrast with america where we've feminized men but it achieves the same thing and then she and i kind of shared a chuckle over that uh, but there was a part in chapter two where molly who's sort of the the air-headed stallion um, and she's really concerned about her uh her ribbons in her hair and uh she she asks First, uh, will there still be sugar after the rebellion? And shall I still be allowed to wear ribbons in my mane? Uh, and the, and the, she was told by the pigs who were kind of running things, no sugar, you don't need sugar. So we, bread lines, right? You don't need 23 varieties of, of deodorant. And then no ribbons because they, they call that a badge of slavery. Um, and how they're basically making the the female in this case a eunuch like Xi Van Fleek experienced in in Maoist China uh, there she doesn't they, she's not allowed to look pretty you are now going to be a worker bee for the uh, the upcoming rebellion for the upcoming uh, utopia that we're going to establish here on the animal farm um, now I want to go over into something else Garrett unless you you got thoughts on that no uh, what reading that part for me like. Orwell did a great job of, um, I guess, I, I guess typecasting. Maybe that's not the right word, but um, of, of of coming up with like the personality types that you encounter just just living in life. And and Molly is this good example of she doesn't care. She doesn't care about the politics. She, she just wants to look pretty and eat some sugar. Okay, like she she's not going to be all in on your cause of. Of, of your seven commandments and how Mr. Jones and actually anybody who walks on two legs is evil. She just wants to look pretty and have a ribbon in her mane, but we can't allow that because we run things now. Okay. Um, so we, the story progresses into chapter two um, and uh, eventually they, they have this revolution that just sort of materializes uh, by happenstance and they're revolting. They have sort of a quasi ideology of that man entirely is bad. Um, and we're just going to try to boot him out, get rid of him. This is the overthrow of the, the czarists, the Nicholas II, uh, the Bolshevik revolution is sort of represented here in this allegory of animal farm. Um, but again, there's no direction. 
it's just chaotic chaotic and they, they themselves are just kind of off thrown but it's not really planned out they just kind of do it they just do things um and i'll make a second movie reference here we had uh, man of steel so i got to go back to back to the goat my, my, my favorite uh it's not my favorite in the franchise but i think that uh, this sort of spells out how the uh, the revolution <laughs> goes we take gotham from the corrupt <laughs> The rich! The oppressors of generations who have kept you down with myths of opportunity. And we give it back to you. The people. Gotham is yours. None shall interfere. Do as you please. But start by storming Blackgate and freeing the oppressed! those who would serve for an army will be raised the powerful will be ripped from their decadent nests and cast out into the cold world that we know and endure courts will be convened. Spoils will be enjoyed. Blood will be shed. The police will survive as they learn to serve true justice. This Great city! It will endure. Those listening and not watching, that is from uh, The Dark Knight Rises. That's from the Batman trilogy with uh, with Christian Bale. That's Bane, who kind of looks like a pig. Uh, Got to be honest, in that in that that role, leading a revolution, and they're just overthrowing things. Right? We we don't really know where it's going to go to, uh, and that's sort of where the animals find themselves when they uh, eventually boot out the, the farmer, his wife. Uh, his help, his the, the labor that's on the farm, and uh, and then they're now they're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on on, on two things here uh, to come off this uh, after this revolution. One is a character you just sort of Garrett defined who Molly is. Um, there's another character that I imagine is pretty close to your heart, and that's uh, he's interestingly enough named Moses, mm. Moses the Raven. Uh, Raven, as yes. it's as an allegory, you know, I, I think that he, uh, Moses represents the church in this, and he describes what he calls sugar candy mountain. And it's this <laughs> utopia up in the sky where yep. everything is wonderful. Um, sounds a lot like <laughs> sounds a lot like heaven, um, and the animals are loath to listen to him the way that the the Bolsheviks were eradicating the church here. Um, TG up here, why don't you why don't you go for it first? The fire rises. One of my favorite quotes of Bane. He's the most quotable villain. Oh, he really is. Great. Yeah. But even um, even that clip, the, the Batman clip you played, it's it it really stands out. And I know it's Hollywood and and I know Animal Farm, there's literary literary devices being used here, but I think both do a really good job of of 
of showing how these things do happen and have. I mean, there are countless examples we can point to through through history. I mean, George Orwell was using history himself for Animal Farm. But, but Moses, yeah, Moses stands out to me because, again, as a literary device, think I think of like Edgar Allan Poe's, you know, quote the raven nevermore and um, the mythology behind what a raven symbolizes. Uh, they're, they're smart. They're filled with guile. They are, uh, can be devious. They can be a sign of, of danger and, and doom uh, to come. And then here, the animals, the other animals don't like Moses because Moses doesn't do any work. And Moses, sometimes he'll fly before the humans got ran off. Um, Moses would would go and and Mr. Jones would feed him some bread, uh, some some beer soaked bread crumbs and 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 Moses can fly, you know, so he can go and travel and so he comes and he claims to have this knowledge of of a better future uh, when we all die and and go somewhere past the clouds into into this this mythical heaven that that they, that they came up with and um, he is kind of a counter to the pigs so far and. It'll be interesting to see how he develops as a character and what happens with his role as the other animals um, start to live in this new utopia that they've created. They've at this point now they have they have ran off the the owners of the farm. It was called Manor Farm. In the meantime, unbeknownst to all the other animals, the pigs taught themselves how to read. But then what do they do? They burn the book that they that they took from Mrs. Jones and that they taught themselves to read with. So they have the knowledge and the power and, and they go and they paint out Manor Farm and they replace the name with Animal Farm. And now two chapters in, we will head into the future utopia of, of Animal Farm. And um, I also like as a literary device, how the humans just got ran off. Like George, I was like, okay, this is a short story. I got to get rid of these humans somehow. And it's like, they're not going to come back. They're not gonna like, you know, use a shotgun on one of these cows that was kicking up. Like that, they're just no, gone. No, they just, just flee. Gone. And, and then the animals, they they actually go inside the farmhouse too, and uh, they kind of daintily walk around. And we 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 deal with Molly again because she found one of Mrs. Jones's blue ribbons and she like held it up on her shoulder and just looking at herself in the mirror. But they end up agreeing right then and there that the farmhouse is going to be a museum to what used to be. And so for those of you who do remember your English literature from back in the day, uh, I think that's what they call foreshadowing. There's been a lot of foreshadowing, I think, uh, in these first two chapters. And uh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going oh, to pull up We'll get to the final list. foreshadowing that I think is, is pretty important. Um, but I, I do think it's also, we mentioned how the Black Lives Matter movement wanted to eradicate the nuclear family. And, and I said, that doesn't make sense if you really believe in socialism, because that's the best example of a functional socialist society. We're also seeing here where they're going to eradicate, or they, they don't want to listen to Moses the Raven. They want to eradicate the church, which is historically what Marxists did. Ooh, yeah. And they replace that his secret knowledge that he claims to have, and, and there's problems in all churches, uh, for and sure. Certainly, lots of scandal, but uh, we replace that. It's a God-shaped hole in your heart, right? And mm -hmm. the, are there to fill that with their secret knowledge that they've been able to acquire from the book that they then uh, they then burned, and now are the the sole arbiters of who they're going to 
bequeath that knowledge to. So there's now a power dynamic set up, which leads us to the last bit of foreshadowing um, that I think is very important, where the they're going to harvest the fields because the hay is ready to be cut. And the, all the animals are, are geeked up, ready to go, but the, the pigs haven't been, or the uh, the cows haven't been milked. So the pigs milk the cows because th they'll die if you don't milk them. Um, and uh, then all the animals go to the fields. But when they return, the milk is mysteriously gone from the buckets. And uh, I think that that is a foreshadowing to how, and a message for how quickly there are cracks in the the best laid plans. And I wanted to bring up something that uh, that everybody repeatedly talks about and these are the the problems that we have with our elected officials um this was a story here to, to best sort of uh demonstrate it uh grant cardone asks how do politicians become millionaires making one hundred thousand dollars per year <laughs> economists identify suspicious personal profit pattern uh, and if you read in this uh this article here and it's from yahoo news investments in stocks are a common source of income for many politicians but concerns have arisen regarding the possibility of members of congress leveraging insider knowledge to achieve higher than average returns on their investments so they are drinking the milk right that uh, that's been set up e economist sirkan karadas uh, forgive me, I, I'm sure I butchered that name. He identified a suspicious pattern in Congress members' stock investment returns, suggesting that some may be profiting from their positions through access to non-public information. Mm, you don't say. <laughs> uh, and uh, and there's another another story in here where it talks about, uh, and I think Unusual Whales is another one of these. It's a citizen watchdog group that sets up to watch what um, what Congress people invest in so you can do that on your own and, and really just make bank. And this is from ABC News from very end of last year, so pretty recent. Citizen watchdogs eye Congress, quote, killing it, unquote, approach to stock trading. And this guy, Chris Josephs, he set up this uh, this watchdog group to, to do that. And um, he says, quote, it, it all started off as infuriating. You're like, what? what the? Wait, how are they allowed to do it when other Americans can't? But as long as this trade is the trades that they're making, the stock trades from Congress they're making is reported within 45 days, there's no law preventing members of the House or the Senate from trading stocks, even if the bills they pass or committees they sit on could influence a company's stock price. First, this outraged him, but then he set up this auto, this app called Autopilot, where you can just follow the same investment because these guys are all getting in on it. Go for it, Garrett. They are all getting in on it. And it made me think of our, my favorite congressperson absolute favorite of all time you may know him his name's dan goldman and this came out a week one week after we testified let me see if i can pull it up here is it this one uh yes it's this one trade like a politician here are the stocks washington bought last week may 25th 2023 as you may remember Steve and I testified on May 18th, 2023. So about one week later, we found out that my dear friend Dan Goldman filed over $9.6 million worth of trades in one week. Here's some of the other high marks, Kathy Manning, Scott Franklin, Lois Frankel. But look at this. Steve talked about it in his article, the, the salary, about 100K. And here, the yearly salary of a politician, 174000 And you got Dan Goldman, Silver Spoon Dan, with his Levi Strauss um, millions filing 9.6 million in trades in one week. And then these other politicians, nobody even close to, to my friend, Dan, but um, it, it, it's, this is, this is how it's done. This is how the milk is taken. 
without nobody looking. And uh, for those of you who may be be wondering, if you haven't read, the quote from the book is, so the animals trooped down to the hayfield to begin the harvest. And when they came back in the evening, it was noticed that the milk had disappeared. And for me, I don't remember when I was a freshman in high school, if I, if I thought of it this way, but it actually has a lot more of an ominous um, feeling as we head into chapter three, just it was noticed that the milk had disappeared, but nobody brings it up. Nobody mentions it. Nobody asks where the milk went. Nobody asks who took the milk. Nobody asks if anybody got to eat or drink any of the milk. Nobody asks if the milk is being stored or if it's going to be parceled out for everybody. Because remember, shortly before that, they had they the pigs wrote their seven commandments, and they are whatever number one, whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. Number two, whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. Three, no animal shall wear clothes. Four. No animal shall sleep in a bed. Five, no animal shall drink alcohol. Six, no animal shall kill any other animal. And seven, the most important one when we're thinking of the milk fiasco, all animals are equal. But are they is my question. And that brings us to the end of chapters one and chapters two of Animal Farm. Um, and uh, we are, we're we're going to continue this, this discussion. I think we'll set it up every Saturday, do a... Um, do the book study. We'll do two chapters, three and four uh, next time. Um, but I do want to give you guys a palate cleanse because it's it's as much as it's introductory to this allegory, uh, it's pretty heavy. Um, we talked on some pretty gross stuff and I know you've filled your, your barf bags already. Uh, before I get to the palate cleanse though, we had a couple of rumble rants. Um, she's becoming a staple. Um, well, I don't want to assume your gender, Kelly D, but you did mention <laughs> your husband last time. So, uh, and, and the, uh, whatever, 007, uh, thank you, fine suspendables. And then, uh, Kelly D, forgive us. I don't. I don't have it pulled up yet. Uh, but it says, "Thank you for three hours a week of great content, guys." Kelly D, I'm grateful for you and for not giving back your husband's uh, credit card yet. <laughs> and then, uh, and then another one, uh, dude. Bane does look like a pig. <laughs> he does, right? I mean, <laughs> did the, the original combo character look the same? Maybe he was based on Napoleon, the main pig in Animal Farm. And we will get into the the pigs and their identities and who they represent. Oh, first time watching too. Thanks, Evan, Yvonne. I don't know. Yeah, thanks, brother. Thanks um, for joining us. Yeah, and especially on a Saturday. Saturday is uh, tends to be our highest volume show, uh, and uh, that's by design. We tend to go a little bit longer on Saturday. We want to make sure that we are keeping you all company as you go about, and we're really grateful that uh, that you allow us to be a part of your lives. We are live every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, live and lively, lively in the chat on Rumble at rumble.com slash amradpod. Do follow us. Do uh, like the show if you want to subscribe. We had uh, a couple come through. Uh, that's fantastic. We really appreciate that. And if you listen to the podcast later on, uh, as I do, I like to do after action reviews on our show so we can better better serve you, can better improve the quality of the show. I had a couple of, of critiques of myself. I was using the word obviously way too much, so I've endeavored to take that down. I apologize. I've, I've eliminated the word literally from my vernacular. Obviously has to get brought down. I'm going to have like a one or two obviously quota until I can eradicate it. That's my <laughs> promise. That will be <laughs> my pledge to you all. And I also did pledge to give you a palate cleanse. So before we close it out, um, we gave you the red cop, blue cop, and we talked about how gross all of our politicians are, regardless of their party. Uh, and we are going to be rapidly coming up on election season. So this is uh, from reason this is uh, every political ad ever as we've talked about the political side of, of Animal Farm. Here we go, we'll give you this uh, to send you off on a laugh for the day. 
This election, your choice couldn't be more important. Our candidate is in flattering lighting and full bright color. Their candidate is in grainy high contrast black and white, spotted through a telephoto lens from behind a bush, coming back from God only knows where. Our guy points at the horizon and holds a baby. Their guy doesn't have a baby. Their guy has a golf club. The voiceover for our guy is calm, measured, bright. Their guy gets the lower register, and sometimes we slow our guy has clean headlines and the beautiful lens flare America needs. Here's a scary graph over a photo of their guy awkwardly laughing. Snap zoom. Do you want a snap zoom like that in office? Here's a photo of our guy saluting military veterans. Jump cuts. Flashes. Static. Aggressive colors. You can't trust a guy with graphics like this. Our guy gets stock footage of sunrises and an American flag. Their guy's flag is upside down and on fire. Intercut with overdue bills, war, and a crying baby. Our guy gets doctor and astronauts and stimulus checks. Flatline. An eagle. Hurricane. The Statue of Liberty. Crime scene tape. Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. A girl running in a wheat field to escape a dangerous sexual predator. Wilding. Atomic bomb. This election, the choice is yours. Their guy or our guy. Inspiring slogan. <laughs> so great. <laughs> Reason does good stuff, guys. They really do. Uh, and uh, that one's not not too recent, but it gave me a chuckle when I saw that. Uh, the upside down flag, especially because if you are watching us on Rumble Channel, you see the suspendable flag, which is an upside down American flag with the suspendable emblem, the upside down FBI badge with our suspendables as in it for an agency and a country in distress. Uh, want to uh, make sure again, thank you all for joining us today on the book study. Thank you all for doing the reading. I was really excited uh, that you had the conversation in the chat earlier that that you uh, you had done the reading and we're sharing the link. We will be doing chapter three and four next Saturday. And uh, and until then, enjoy your week, guys. And uh, we will see you again on Tuesday. You've been listening to the voice of the Suspendables on the American Radicals podcast. Follow us on rumble.com slash amradpod. <laughs>